Please keep your Bibles open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to meet with the risen Jesus so that you are glorified. Amen. As you probably gathered by now, uh, Alan had titled this service, Journeys. And it's a good title, isn't it? Because it's something that we uh, have all experienced at different times and different kinds and in different lengths. There's the journey from birth to death of various lengths. There's the journey of education through schooling and maybe college and university. There's the relationship journey. Perhaps for, uh, if you can remember back to those days when perhaps you had a relationship that lasted, well, maybe one week or two weeks with that boy or girl, or maybe a little longer, a few weeks, or maybe you even got married to that person and it's gone on for several years. It's something that we understand. And it involves high points and low points. But I would suggest to you that if we don't journey, we don't live and we don't learn. And in our reading tonight, we see an example of a journey at different levels. There's the physical journey, going down from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. It's a relatively short journey by our scale of things, about seven miles, but done probably quite slowly by walking. But there's also the emotional and spiritual journey for these two travellers, extending from their time with Jesus to the time of the journey. And in our life's journeys, there will be disappointments, won't there? And in the Emmaus Road journey, we see examples of life's disappointments. The disciples have been hoping for so much. They've been with Jesus for three years. They'd heard his teaching, experienced his miracles, and they'd come to believe that he was the Messiah, the chosen one who would restore Israel back to its greatness. And then in the last three days, there was the betrayal of Jesus by one of their group. There was the instigation of the trial by their leaders, their political and religious leaders. There was the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And all of these things would have had a major effect upon their life. There would have been a major letdown. Now, it's difficult, isn't it, to put it into words. Their world must have fallen apart. Most had probably given up jobs. They'd left friends and family to follow Jesus, who had promised so much. But it was also a time of dark betrayal, a time when the power of the religious leaders and the Roman authorities was on show. But it was also a time of supernatural occurrences. Think back to the events that happened at Jesus' crucifixion, as shown in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 47. There was three hours, and they call it the sixth hour to the ninth hour, when the sky darkened when it should have been light. There was the splitting of the temple curtain. There was the words of Jesus concerning paradise, 
there was the reaction of the common folk who beat their breasts and left. Now, all these events must have had a tremendous effect upon these followers of Jesus, who were frightened and scared, and they locked themselves away in a room, frightened that this pattern of trial and punishment might happen to them. But then there was also confusion. The confusion seems to start with the women who went to visit the tomb early that first day of the week. They were expecting to see the body of Jesus, and so they could grieve more. And this part of the journey then, their journey veers off into the unknown territory because the women report the body of Jesus had disappeared. And they report that they saw angels who claimed Jesus had risen from the dead. And so I'd like to say to you, we could not have had a more dramatic background to this short account of the journey that we have in front of us tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open at Luke 24, which you'll find on page 1061. What's often headed up as the road to Emmaus, a journey, what I would suggest, from despair, confusion, from fear, to enlightenment, to action and joy. Now, it's important that we get the time framework right here because this journey happened on the same day as the women in Pater went to visit the tomb. It was the first day of the week. And of the two travellers, there was one follower called Cleopas. Now, the other traveller may, some commentaries say, may have been his wife or it could have been another disciple. We're not told. But we read that they were going home to their village and their faces were downcast. In other words, they were pretty fed up. Okay, and we read that in verse 17. But that they discussed the events of Jesus' death, clearly they were confused and in doubt. The claims that they had heard from the women, Jesus, who they knew had died, was now resurrected. They knew that Jesus' body had disappeared because Peter confirmed this, that he'd seen the empty tomb with the grave clothes carefully folded in place. So it posed the question, didn't it, to them? What had happened to the body? Could the body have been moved or stolen by the soldiers or by someone else? Later, when the claim of resurrection was being broadcast, the opponents to this view would point this out. They said the body had been moved by the soldiers. But there's no evidence that this was the case, because if there had been evidence of this, then the officials would have produced the body to prove, in fact, that Jesus hadn't risen. Now, there was no recorded event of Jesus' body being displayed to disprove the claim of resurrection. And so we see that the travellers were confused by the claims of the angels of Jesus' resurrection. Why? Why were they so confused? Well, certainly, I think, because this is beyond the understanding of normal people. If you go to work tomorrow and you talk to people about, you know, your hope of being resurrected again you will get some strange looks and probably some people who think you're quite bonkers, you know. Um, Well, we know this is beyond our normal understanding. We know, don't we, that we are born, we live, and we die at some point in time. That's the reality for all of us. 
There are many uncertainties in life, but the one certainty is that we will someday die. Now, our life's journey, of course, may be short. It may be medium, or it may be long. We don't know. But we do know that it will end at some point. Now, I have to say, I've had the experience in my short life of seeing both my Christian parents dying. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it brings reality to one. But there was no evidence of resurrection there. And, of course, we see no evidence within the animal kingdom either. We see no evidence of resurrection there. And so I think these travellers were confused and they were probably frightened as well by the claims of the women and that the angel had given them this message. And we've got another problem within this account. We've got the introduction of angels into the story, supernatural beings. Again, an uncertainty. Not many have experiences of meeting with angels. Could the women have been hallucinating? Or were they just confused? So what was there to believe? What was there in their minds as they walked on that road? Well, surely doubt and sadness and confusion. We too, can't we? We too can find that sometimes ourselves in this position. Who do we believe when things happen which we don't understand, when doubt is cast upon the certainties of life and our faith? It's not a pleasant place to be. A place, though, that we need to remember others have been to, and these two travellers were one such. But we meet a third person on this, journey, on this journey, a mysterious traveller. Look carefully at the account. Look at verse 15. Did he suddenly appear? Or was it that they were so involved with their discussion that they just didn't notice another male traveller close to them? Or did he come from behind and overtake them? Perhaps he joined them from a path that joined their road. Well, the Bible is rather annoyingly quiet about this detail. But we read in these 17 verses the role of Jesus in this account as the traveller. We read that he was resurrected. He had a new body that could walk, it could talk, it could eat, it could appear, and it, couldn't di- and it could disappear. Now, we shouldn't minimise these statements. As Christians, and as people who read their Bibles, we get used to these words. But we shouldn't minimise these statements. A body that could disappear and appear. Now, I don't know how to portray this momentous event in simple words. We have seen this, of course, before in the Old Testament, when the prophet Elijah was taken up to heaven. We think of Enoch, who also walked with God. But these events are outside our understanding at one level and our experience. So why did Jesus do this? Because he could have started the journey with them within Jerusalem. And he could have left the room in which they were having the meal in an orderly fashion, like any other man. But no, he decides to leave in a spectacular fashion and disappear and appear in a spectacular fashion. Why? Well, may I suggest it was to help those two followers and later the other disciples and all followers afterwards to see and acknowledge the fact that he had, in fact, 
risen from the dead. He had defeated death. Jesus was offering them proof of what had happened in the tomb. He was giving further evidence to support the words of the women which were being doubted. And this was just another event which combines with the other times when Jesus appears to the disciples. All these events work together to give the disciples and to give us the opportunity to believe that Jesus had defeated death and risen from the grave. But that's not all. Look carefully at this account. Look how Jesus goes on because he gives further evidence to support the fact that the resurrection was a part of God's plan for salvation. If you look at verses 25 to 27, you see how Jesus criticises their lack of belief in the prophets. And he turns to the scriptures of the Old Testament to prove the fact that he was, in fact, the Messiah, that he had to suffer and die, but that he would be resurrected. Now, if you want to read more about this, look in Isaiah chapter 53. It's a whole chapter given off to prophetic utterances about this Messiah. And I think this is really important to us because it removes from us the uncertainty of the women's and Peter's witness to the security of the written word. It links in with the history of the Jewish people and their faith. So what Jesus is declaring here is this event is part of God's plan for his people. Therefore, he is saying to the travellers, you can have confidence and hope in what has happened. You can go from despair, uncertainty and doubt on your journey to certainty, hope and joy. And so Jesus teaches them on the road as they travel. But he does more than this. Look at verses 30 to 32. He he, he participates in an activity which was supremely human, that is, sharing a meal together, through which they were allowed to recognise him. And I think, and I believe, that their faith and understanding would have been greatly strengthened by this event. And such is their joy and wonderment that they immediately set off for the long journey back through the dark to Jerusalem. If you remember, they had stopped at the house and they'd urged Jesus to do so because it was dark. It was getting dangerous to travel. But now their urgency to share in the good news of being with the raised Jesus sent them back on their way to Jerusalem. And I believe that the time of their journey gives weight to the importance that they must have felt concerning sharing this news with the other followers. So there we have it. A journey. A journey from where they started in despair, downcast faces, some doubting the words of the women, through to joy and great willingness to travel back through the dark to share that with their fellow believers. So what about us then? What's the message to us tonight? from this passage, if we are on the journey to faith, if we are trusting in Jesus' death for our salvation. I think we can uh, bring out several points from this, can't we? We can see, first of all, that there's more to life than the earthly bodies which are constrained by time and place. 
Now, it opens up to us, doesn't it, a whole new perspective on life. There will be new bodies, and we will spend eternity with Jesus. We will see loved ones who are saved. It offers us the reality of salvation. Because if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, there would be no gospel message, no forgiveness of sins. The religious leaders would have won, and Jesus would have been defeated and confined to the toe. Jesus shows us that life continues beyond the grave. And so we can rejoice with these disciples that Jesus chose to make himself known so that we may believe in his resurrection and also in the resurrection for us in the future. And the evidence can give us confidence in this. We can be encouraged that God's plan of salvation is for all and includes the risen Jesus who defeated death on the cross and he promised Remember, on the death and the cross, he promised that criminal eternity with him that day. And we can remember that promise is for us too. There will be resurrection in the future. We will have new bodies and spend eternity with him. What a joy. What a joy. But what a mystery as well. But of course, you may not have actually got to that point of your life, of a journey of faith you might still be asking questions. You might still not have trusted Jesus' death on the cross for for your sins. Well, if that's the case, be challenged by this account. The risen Jesus offers evidence, both from the Jewish scriptures, from angels, from witnesses, from his own appearances, that he did rise from the dead, that he did defeat death and offer hope to all that believe in him. So take heart tonight. And if you want to ask uh, Alan or myself or have any of the prayer ministry that will take place later on, then do that. Take the opportunity to do that. Because Jesus offers us all that opportunity to believe in him and to meet him as the risen saviour. Amen.